0: Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel. This gospel lesson is taken not from this past Sunday's lectionary, but from the gospel appointed for honoring the day of Martin Luther King's sainthood, which is on the day of his assassination, April 4th. The gospel is from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. Jesus said... I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The Holy Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. I'd like to just take a moment and sing a song of the ancestors. And if you know it, I invite you to sing along, Your Grace and Mercy
1: Brought Me Through. Your grace and mercy brought me through. I'm living this moment. Because of you I want to thank you and praise you too Your grace and mercy brought me through. Amen.
0: Maybe you've seen the video of Arkansas Senator Stephanie Flowers who recently gave a speech in response to a Stand Your Ground Law proposal. I remember when I first watched it, empathizing with the passion of this black mother as she voiced her fear for her son's life and her concern for her own safety. I remember watching the video a second time through, but that second time noticing the apathy of the white person who was chairing the meeting as he rested his head in his hand while he looked at her in such a way as to imply that her story, that the truth of her experience was a show, a minstrel show, as if the pain and suffering of black people was entertainment for him. I reflected on how he was the one who lost the most in that scenario because though she had lost that battle, he had lost some of his soul. I remember celebrating communion at a local church shortly after returning from Ethiopia. I recall that I had never felt more alienated from the church than when, after living in a country for two years where everyone looked like me, I received communion and looked up at white Jesus of a blonde haired pale, white Jesus, flocked by equally pale white angels. And I thought to myself, this, this is Christ in me, the hope of glory? I had never felt more alienated from the institutional church until I did feel more alienated from the institutional church. That is, when I experienced paternalism from a white person in church authority. In seven years at St. Christopher's, in my lifetime of membership in the Episcopal Church, A person in authority had never belittled me. When their parting words began with, you may think I'm the meanest person in the world. I remembered my blackness. Thankfully, I also remembered that while they, like that chairperson in Arkansas, had the authority to say yes and no, I had power over my response. And these are some glimpses into the actual work of reconciliation. And as we remember Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, I find no topic more fitting to expound upon than the subject of racial reconciliation. A few things came to mind, and this first point is particularly difficult for me to share in a room of majority white people. Because I feel like I'm airing dirty laundry and I'm talking about my family, but I recognize that we should know the truth and that the truth will set us free and sometimes the truth implicates us but we have to have the courage to share this to share the whole truth if we are to move forward as whole beings and so this first point is that we are all caught in a web we are caught in knots and knots of sickness of trauma of amnesia and our situation is a result of our profound forgetfulness of who we are and of divine intention of god's will for our lives i've heard it said how can we reconcile what was never together But that's precisely where I find my point. There is only one body of Christ. And through Christ, all things were made. We hear this in the Gospel of John, which simply means that every created thing is ultimately one. And out of that one creation came many Out of that one emerged diversity and multiplicity, all bearing the image of the invisible God. And so we see distinction, and there is distinction. And yet, ultimately, there is only one God. There is only one body. And nothing exists outside of God. God gifted and distinguished each tribe, every tribe of people in their own way. And to Africans, God bestowed the gift of origination. And that is one of the greatest, the greatest findings of our last century that out of the dark continent emerged the first human beings. And the religions Governments, educational centers, art, and medicines that we developed testify to our knowing that our origins are divine. And so how then did we get to the door of no return? How did we get to selling each other out into the middle passage for alcohol, guns, and tobacco? why do we still sell each other out we forgot we forgot as we continue to forget who we are from chosenness to bondage in a strange land to the slow journey back to god's promises we are like the people of the book forgetting and remembering forgetting and remembering, and as for the sins of our brothers and sisters of European descent, we know them well, and this is the nucleus of the web in which we find ourselves caught, the web of oppression, participation in oppression, and struggle against oppression. This picture is grim, but just as we may start to feel that there's no hope, we remember the power of God to bring new life to the trees and to the flowers and to you and I and to institutions as dry as the bones in the valley. And the good news is that we've been prepared And that is my second point. God has prepared us for this time and God has prepared us for these calls of justice and reconciliation upon our lives. I look back over my life and there hasn't been a time when I wasn't a reconciler. I was born to a Muslim father and a Christian mother. I came of age at a conservative, predominantly white, east-western school, where I was the opposite of all of those categories. I was an Anglican at a Catholic university. Then in Peace Corps, I was a foreigner in a strange land. I'm noting all of this to say that God's preparation for us is not just conceptual. It's not just in our heads just like our calls, aren't only conceptual. Our preparation for our calls is evidenced in our lives by the dynamics of our lives, by the ways that we've lived our lives. And when we look back, we find that God's hand has been on us, guiding us to that destined place. And it is we who have needed to slowly remove the blinders so that we can see the abundance that has always been ours. Finally, the good news is also that we've been empowered to forgive. We've been empowered to forgive. To forgive ourselves and to forgive one another. To forgive those in the past and in the present. Our gospel lesson says, for God is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. And at this moment, I'm gonna break with my script and share a little story. I, I was never best taught the, the lesson of forgiveness than when I wasn't forgiven by somebody, when I wasn't forgiven, and I apologized, and I was truly sorry, and that person, I felt, still held some resentment towards me, and I recognized that I was being called to go back and look back over every incident in my life that I felt had hurt me every piece of unforgiveness and forgive those people to release my pain my hurt my resentment toward them towards them and in that next morning i came into this chapel and the prayer that was on my heart was i forgive the white people who drove past my grandmother and my grandfather's house on 38th Street in Church Hill, and called my dad and my uncles black crows. Look at those black crows sitting on the fence. And I forgive the man at White Castle Restaurant in Richmond's downtown who said, we don't serve inwards words here, I forgive that man, and I forgive the systematic oppression that has strangled my people's progress in this country and has left us in a place of economic, social, and political disadvantage. I release all of that resentment that I feel towards the people that did these things because I can no longer hold it in my heart. I cannot carry the pain any longer because it is constricting my ability to move forward. I look back at the foundations of this country and I look on the foundations of the Episcopal Church. I look at the profound audacity of a man who sanctioned his people to travel to foreign lands rape, murder, and pillage, to practice biological warfare, race-based slavery, and wholesale genocide, to do all of that, and then to name a Bible after himself, which we now call the King James Version. And as the Reverend Ben Campbell notes in Richmond's Unhealed History, his landmark work, which I consider a textbook, a primary textbook of Richmond Hill. He noted that upon arrival to the fall line, the colonists planted their cross, the cross of Western Christianity, of Protestantism, of Anglo-Saxonism, of the Anglican religious establishment that I am a part of. Furthermore, they lied to the indigenous people about the meaning of even the cross they planted a lie into the foundation of our nation and of American Christianity. This is an exceptional state of ignorance because King James couldn't have known the damage that he would do to his church as a result of his spreading the faith in this way, the damage initiated by that ignorance of which we continue to reap the harvest. Did he know that I would be giving this sermon today? I, a descendant of the enslaved, would be giving this sermon today before you? No. It was an exceptional state of ignorance. And just as we have been exceptionally ignorant, and just as we are in constant need of God's grace and mercy, We must bestow that on others, or we will continue to exist in a state of suffering and misery, and we will be crippled by bitterness and resentment in our attempts to move forward and out from under the rubble of our past. And so as we tell the truth, as we hold people accountable, as we hold ourselves accountable, we are called to forgive just as God forgives us. And then we are called to truly wish people the best. We are called to truly want for others what we want for ourselves, which means not only do I release resentment toward you, but I hold in my heart only the desire for your redemption, the desire for your restoration, the desire that you may enter ever more fully into God's destiny for your life because the sooner you start hooking into your destiny and living your best life, the better it is for all of us because everyone affects everyone else. Ubuntu, I can't get well until you get well. So let us find it in ourselves to forgive just as we are forgiven." In closing, there's a quote by Lila Watson that continues to prove insightful for this work of justice and reconciliation. She said, if you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. If you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. It is in this recognition of our identity in the other that we begin to remember ourselves. And we, when we remember ourselves, we remember our rootedness in God, our belonging to God. And so we stand in agreement that we are one. We stand in agreement that we've been prepared for such a time as this. We stand in agreement that we've been empowered to be witnesses of compassion to one another in the exercise of forgiveness. And now, let us go forth. Let's just sing together. Again, your grace and mercy. I believe the power of song to heal. I believe the power of song to renew, to make whole, to knit people together in community, to connect people.
1: Your grace and mercy brought me through. I'm living this moment because of you. I want to praise you and thank you too. Your grace and mercy Brought me through. One more time. Your grace and mercy Brought me through. I'm living this moment Because of you. Thanks be to God. I want to praise you and thank you, too. Your grace and mercy brought me through.